What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. I got my friend Elias here. There's no like big reveal anymore because I've been trying to do more of these person to person, so I can't be like, I guess if I had two cameras, I could, but I just have one camera. <laughs> so you know who I've got on right off the bat, but got Elias on here. Uh, he's been on here before. If y'all are, most of y'all probably know who he is. It, I feel like a lot of the people that, that listen to this podcast are also familiar with Elias's YouTube channel, which is Elias V Fishing. Um, just incredible YouTube content, so definitely go check that out. Um, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, uh, just a reminder, go check out the Facebook group, Eastern Current Fishing, great way to connect with other listeners. Um, check out our Patreon, we're, we're going to record a little bit of content at the end of every podcast, so another 5, 10, 15 minutes um, after we finish each of these podcasts from here on out and put that on Patreon. Sometimes we'll be talking about maybe a lure that, that we're not going to share you know, in the main podcast, or we might be talking about some extra tactics, or just continuing the conversation that we've already got, but we've got that going on Patreon weekly um, with the podcast. Um, so definitely go check that out as well. Um, we got some crappy weather, so me and Elias always text on crappy weather days, and we're like, hey, you want to do the podcast today? We've been trying to do this for maybe three months, and now we're finally doing it. Got a little more time. Yeah, a little more time. So what we're going to talk about today is kind of what Elias targets from now until March. You know, you know, a lot of times people kind of hang the fishing rods up for a little bit in the wintertime. Um, not everybody, but there's a lot of opportunity here um, inshore and nearshore, um, kind of like what we talked about last week with Zane, but, but Elias is going to... Uh, he's got a lot more um, different and some of the similar stuff we're going to talk about and just kind of continue on that trend of what can we target here in the winter um, and how can we do it? How can we be successful? So, um, and I know that y'all, uh, y'all will, y'all will learn a lot here. So looking forward to it, but yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, it, it, no matter how well I know somebody, there's always like this first five or 10 awkward minutes of talking to the camera together. Sure. That's cool. <laughs> um, but well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Tell us what you do. Yeah, I guess you could say the next few months are probably your 45-degree water to 60-degree water. Yeah. I would say that's kind of a good range. I haven't been here long enough to really experience a crazy cold winter. I came here in the winter of 2018, so I guess that was mm -hmm. the trout. I guess that was a that cold winter. That was the trout kill, yeah. That, that was, was the trout kill winter. So I did see a cold winter. Yeah, you brought it with you. I brought the cold <laughs> winter. So I've seen the, the trout kill winter and then two warm winters. And now we had a very warm November with a, this is a more of an average December, would you say, where it's colder than normal? It's been average. I mean, I think we've had a good mixture of, well, I think it maybe has been a warmer year, warmer November, a little right. bit warmer December. But we also had some really cold fronts mixed in. It's been a lot of kind of roller coaster. I feel like November was much warmer than any of the years so far I've yeah. seen. Yeah. Uh, with, you it's know, definitely It definitely made the fishing different. Right, I mean, and the, that those were the trends that uh, King Mackerel were around on the beach through mid-November, which I think is unusual. Yeah. Uh, up until probably the last week in November, uh, there was still a couple King Mackerel on the piers even. So, yeah, um, if trends hold true to the last two, three years, uh, you know, I'm primarily a kayak angler, so I'm looking to maximize my opportunity based on weather and what's biting uh what's practical for me bluefin yeah. tuna for example is not my practical winter target as i'll be getting as, a phone call to come drag you back in you're right that kind of stuff just <laughs> doesn't doesn't really end up being in the cards uh but uh there's really a lot of opportunity throughout the winter uh there's some really nice weather windows that tend to form most of the winter um it might just be one day a week uh, especially february march tend to be windier months but sometimes you just get that one day. We had a nice little stretch of weather this last weekend. And, uh, yeah, 
you got a lot of different f- fish to target. So I guess we could talk inshore and then uh, near shore. Yeah. Near shore to me is basically one to two miles off the beach. Um, fishing structure this time of year. I don't think there's any open water pursuit I could find along the beach besides those bluefin tuna. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's primarily to me is a, a structure type of fishery this time of year. If you listen to the last podcast with Zane, I don't want to beat up on too much of the same information. Uh, red, red drum, black drum. Sheep's head, toe tog, uh, other fish that you can potentially bump into on your your, your near shore adventures. Um, last two years, I've found speckled trout along the, the beach on any structure. It could be natural bottom or it could be high relief wrecks. Um, artificial reef comes to mind. Uh, I think I've found speckled trout on a, almost every artificial reef I've fished at some point. Um, I wouldn't say that's a pattern patternable thing right (laughs) but at the same time if you are um bumping into gray trout uh throughout your summer summer months uh either flounder fishing or just you know fishing on your own for just jigging around um there's a good chance at a certain time with the right conditions i've always speculated why do i catch speckled trout uh every winter off the beach on the near shore wrecks and maybe it's uh, fish following with the gray trout out of inlets. Yeah. Maybe dolphins are pushing them off the beach and now they are deep water specs till yeah. a big weather change to, to push them back shallow. Do you feel like it's temperature based? Like when you've caught them, has it been really cold inshore? Yes. Okay. It has been. Uh, no, last year I was really? catching them. I was still catching flounder and octopus. It was a, that was in. You were getting them on metal jigs too, I remember. Right. Yeah. Metal jigs and small soft plastics. Uh, we could talk about some of that stuff that works well for those uh, gray trout and, and speckled trout. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. No, I've caught them on uh, Oak Island. I've caught them along the beaches on the eastern facing stuff. So I, I wouldn't, I, I can't exactly say what would push uh, speckled trout into deeper water along the ocean front. That's a, that's a good question. Uh, but it's something that I wouldn't rule out. And yeah. It's something I wouldn't rule out to every now and then find a big one out there yeah. because that's the right environment for for sure it's any man's game out there yeah <laughs> any fish's game rather yeah, for real. <laughs> but um and uh big baits out there too big stuff for them to eat big baits yeah there's definitely a good reason uh, a big fish can lay up out there that's for sure uh and what was the other the other thing about speckled trout why i think they might uh, yeah, dolphins would be my other my, my other guess. They push them out there, and then that's basically their only cover. Right, right. It's that kind of stuff. That would be my guess why you might find speckled trout. Or the, they follow, you know, out of uh, some of the bigger inlets, the gray trout that might be kind of chilling with them. I think they must migrate together, too, to some extent, because a lot of times you'll be fishing inshore, and you'll hit, you know, you'll catch five or six speckled trout. You might catch a, a, a gray trout or two mixed in. Right. Sitting, you know, in a current seam where speckled trout would be, so it, it makes sense that they would reverse those roles and sit together offshore. Right. So the, the habitat, if you're maybe you want to take advantage of a beautiful, nice day out there, yeah. and it's still crowded inshore, that would be a situation where I'd say, hey, I'm gonna let me see if I bump into some trout off the beach, and I've caught my biggest gray trout since living here in February. Yeah, and that was a uh, was past February, two February, two February. Ago. Um, and some great, some speckled trout to like 21, 22 inches. Um, you know, take advantage of a beautiful day if it's too busy inshore. Uh, any, I would say any structure with really high relief, just like, kind of like an oyster bar. Imagine a deep water oyster bar. 
yeah. in 50 feet. But that high relief doesn't dump off onto other structure. That high relief instantly dumps off onto sand, kind of like a big bulkhead. Yeah. yeah. That would be where I would say you should find trout at some point during the winter. So a wreck that's got... They want to lay on that sand next to the... Structure. Next to the structure. Yeah. Kind of like an ambush point. It makes sense. Yeah, it would sure. be the exact same ambush point that they would use inshore. Yeah. But they're using it in the deeper water. So let's say you have a wreck that sits in uh, you know, 35 feet of water. Yeah, it rises up to 25 feet at, feet at its peak. And instead of just gradually sloping throughout more structure, literally the, after the peak, it's just sand. There's no more structure. There's no growth. It's just a sandy yeah, bottom yeah. where you might catch pinfish and just junk all summer. Right. Uh, of course, you'll probably find flounder in that kind of what I just described yeah. too. But, you know, it could be kind of a trashier spot to fish. But something like that will most definitely hold your gray trout throughout the winter as long as it doesn't get too cold. I'd say I've caught gray trout here until about 51, 52. Ocean temp. Ocean temps, yeah. yeah. 51, 52, I start to lose that gray trout. Gotcha. Bite. And that even with, you know, I've had one day a good trip, then I went maybe like three, four days later looking for those big gray trout. Couldn't find them because my guess is always dolphins, dolphins, dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> dolphins find them, can push them off. That's um, for sure. But, you know, that kind of environment would always should always at some point hold some trout. You're a gray trout, and if you're looking for those those ocean specks that could show up, um, it's been every year so far yeah. since I've lived here that I've bumped into them at least once. Last year was the time I've bumped into them. Like I think I had five trips with speckled trout out in the ocean last year. Really? And and any of those trips, I can't remember. Were you like sitting on a spot catching a few consistently on some of the trips? Yeah. yeah. And I went back a week later, and it's not and like I get them. to go into the ocean every. Um, every day yeah. <laughs> on a kayak so there was there was long gaps in between some of my trips for sure i would say a couple of trips had a gap of about you know a week and a half even so i'm talking probably almost a month of consecutive uh speckled trout action last year year before i think i had i kind of bumped into them randomly and i didn't really think enough about it then right. i went back yeah. this year and i said oh i can catch specks with a little bit of consistency out yeah. of the ocean have you had uh, one yet this year? No, I haven't been out as much this year. The weather's been kind of all Between over Between the, the weather uh, being uh, predominantly northeast and the water being above average. Yeah. So I'm kind of not as Wait convinced. Waiting for that trash to move out. Yeah. My last trip out into the ocean, I was still catching grunts, which yeah. are warm water species. And that was grunts in December. We yeah. caught triggerfish in December. So these are still mid-60 degree temperature right. fish, 70 degrees. So... Uh, I'm still optimistic that's going to happen. Yeah, that I, I have a likely chance of bumping into these. Trout. What what water temperature temperature do you like to see for for the gray trout? Like before you're or when you're out there, you're like okay, I'm going to target gray trout today. This what water temperature? Do you I would like? say probably low sixties, low sixties, upper fifties. Uh, it seems like upper fifties into low sixties is a sweet spot here in North Carolina for yeah. your colder water species. So if you want to have a good time with your toe tag out in the ocean, upper fifties is good. Low 60s, your red drum will still be around in those temperatures yeah. and and actively feeding on the ocean. Your black drum, your sheep's head. So I'd say upper 50s up until about low 60s. A good trend that sometimes happens in the winter too is um, you get a couple really strong cold snaps that'll push the water below 55. What that'll do is that usually makes sure the pinfish, the pigfish, 
all that stuff will will leave the near shore wrecks. And then if you get a nice week or two, yeah. that was my trend uh, 2019 and this winter of 2020, a nice little warm up. That'll definitely keep your more predatory game fish around, yeah. and you'll be, have an easier time fishing through uh, junk. You, right. There won't right. be at there won't be it right now. We haven't had that yet. Maybe now we're going to see it. Yeah. I think this next blast is going to hopefully put that water to 55 in the right. ocean. Um, push a lot of the, those pinfish and pigfish. Pinfish being the one Zane was talking about. It's probably a numero uno uh, problem child out there. Yeah. But uh, if it warms back up again and climbs that right back up to 58 to 60, you can have some really good near shore fishing throughout January, February, uh, March for sure. I yeah. mean, those are some of my favorite trips. Last 2020, I've had some of my favorite trips in January for sure. Yeah, that's so, sweet. Of the year, even probably some of my favorite trips. Just the, the biodiversity that can accumulate uh, on the near shore stuff. You're target, talking about fish, the, the gray trouts and the specks. You have other fish probably migrating from Virginia to south. You have the big black drum that do their southern migration. Mm-hmm. Those big schools coming out of the Chesapeake and Delaware Bay. You probably have some of the sheep's head coming from that Chesapeake Bay region through our area as well. The totog, I've, I'm not sure if that's all migratory. Some of it is, some of it isn't. I'm not as sure. That's a good question to ask. Right, right. But um, if they come into our environment on their southern journey... And, you know, the temps are right for them to feed. They'll, they'll feed on our, our structures for yeah. sure all winter. You know, c- cruising down the beach, like we, we like to look for Spanish mackerel throughout the summer. Mm. Um, you know, I haven't had much success looking looking down the beach in the winter months yeah. to see what's just past the bar on potentially any bait schools that are still left. Um, you know, I've heard stories about thresher sharks showing up here. Yeah, but I saw one caught up in, up in Atlantic yeah. the other day. So, but that's not, <laughs> it's right. another one uh, falls in line with the bluefin tuna and right. the kayak. We're not quite gonna not gonna happen. I think what's what's cool and, and so many people, you know, just kind of look past this near shore fishing. But there's so much opportunity out there to catch all the fish that are desirable inshore. You know, even on those near shore structures and live bottom. For sure. Um, but what what what's nice about this time of year is you can get out there and you can weed through it and learn it quicker. I feel like and learn what's sitting there because there's not as much trash. Yeah. You can make you can make the cast and fish lures you want to and and know a little bit maybe not too much quicker but but you don't have to deal with the annoying factor of pinfish and all the all the junk that that'll kind of run you off if you're not confident like when you're I, I feel like your confidence on that near shore stuff allows you to be able to weed through that in the summer and know that you're still going to get a good bite but right. but for a novice that's rolling out to let's say the Liberty ship for the first time and they're gonna bottom fish and they want to catch a gray trout you know they can they can fish through it and if there's a better chance that if they get a bite it's going to be a quality fish right and we could talk quickly about some lures that yeah let's do that um i feel like in the winter is definitely a time i like to fish big stuff in the fall spring and summer specifically targeting uh yeah uh, the bigger red drum and bigger flounder that's big big stuff all day i'm I'm 100 and tell them like what is big stuff to you like what what would be a a size you're very confident in catching flounder and big Uh, drum yeah i would say for the most part i'm going to roll out with five and a half six inch product six inch soft plastics for the most part these are my own yeah yeah tell them about your before we get too far into it tell them about your soft plastics because i've fished a lot of them now too yeah i make a five and a half inch paddle tails this is probably about eight years ago when originally for striped bass yeah 
Um, we didn't have a whole lot of large paddle tail options available. Yeah. Um, besides like the, the, the Mojo style. Um, and especially from the kayak. Um, That's a sweet color right there. Yeah, it's natural silver. Um, and something that's easily rigged on heavy jig heads. A lot of the striped bass fishing I came from was fishing under one ounce was rare. Yeah. Most of it was one to three ounces. Um, so wide bodies, thick plastic, you know, accommodating large, jig heavy heads. jig heads, which translates well into near shore fishing for the most part. Sure, you can fish half ounce some days out there, but in general, we're rolling. I'm I'm starting my fishing one ounce for the most part, anywhere from thirty to sixty feet of water. Yeah. One ounce should cover. It depends on your your wind and current situation, yeah. but one ounce should cover it, and say up to an ounce and a half. And on a nice day, maybe we're, I'm working with three quarters of an ounce. You know, that would be kind of what I would say. But yeah, this is generally what gets fished in the summer. In the winter, I don't bring out those big profile. Maybe I'll bring them out, but I, they're not going to be what I'm really working with. Um, somebody who learned a lot of their fishing in freshwater um, metals. Yeah. Are always a great cold water lure, reaction strikes, ice fishing, all that stuff. Uh, cold water largemouth bass. And I feel like in the winter, especially, um, a lot of the fish are going to respond well to metal lures agitating them. I always just assume it's an agitating bite. I gravitate to some of the old school lures. Um, that's a three quarter ounce crippled herring. This thing's probably been around for a century. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a great uh, search lure if you're trying to catch whatever kind of bites. Of course, the little black sea bass will mob these up. Um, one of the fish that probably won't leave the area, but yeah. you'll still catch your um, your red drum on these. Both trout species do love metal lures, work properly. Um, you'll catch uh, black drum occasionally on these. Uh, you'll catch uh, those white bone porgies on these. So they're pretty diverse lures and they'll catch Especially since your red drum aren't going to be your 40 inches in the winter time, they'll be your your slots and maybe yeah. your overs. Um, downsizing definitely will pay off. I started fishing with um, assist hooks almost throughout this year, almost on all metals. I take the trebles off. Um, a lot of times when you you're fishing these smaller metals and you have these little number four treble hooks, yeah, you're going to shake off too many fish. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you, even though you might miss more fish on the bite. These little assist hooks, number ones, uh, maybe we'll link what kind of assist hooks. Yeah, I've been, definitely. I've been running on a lot of these smaller metal lures, these these three-quarter ounce and one-ounce lures. You're, you're going to keep the fish pinned. You have a much higher probability of not dropping stuff like that. And, you know, the greatest example of elephant seed peanuts, too, is definitely. last November, you know, I caught that black drum that was probably like 70 Oh yeah, you know, on, on that a, on this little three-quarter three ounce crippled herring. So, and I think what people don't realize too is you can actually turn around and cast that with those assist hooks too. Like we've been yeah. out fishing together and called albacore on assist hooks, not yeah. on trebles, and you keep them pinned better on those as well if you get them hooked. So, yeah, king um, macros, king, king macros too. Yeah. yeah, I find that you're a lot less likely to drop fish with these types of hooks. And the other thing is, you do if you're really, um, they are a little more expensive hooks. You're not going to just looking at it, and when you, if you're jigging it over structure, this is what com comes in contact a lot of the time, this bottom third of the lure as you're jigging along. Uh, a treble hook does tend to snag up more Yeah. versus this. Because you're dropping that treble hook and hitting the bottom first. Right, and if you're new um, to doing a lot of that stuff, maybe even going to a single assist hook. 
yeah. isn't a bad idea either. And you can swap them out even from epoxy jigs on your false albacore lures. Um, these guys, I mean, any metal lure that you, you're grabbing off the shelf, I find that it, it holds up better. Um, and, you know, caught trigger fish this spring with these cyst hooks. Maybe the little feathers give some extra. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's always a good yeah, thing we'll to have. Yeah, we'll definitely link those. There's so many different styles now. Oh my gosh. It's like you have your old school ones, which are like the crocodile is another one that's um, probably century old. Um, there's these we we used. I used to use these for striped bass fishing. Um, these it's are, like the deadly dick method too. The little yeah. the curve in there. Give it yeah. a little more wobble in the um, fall. Another flat flat style. These are some of the newer style. They call them slow pitch jigs. When when you when you give slack in your line, they make this this crazy little wobble back down to the bottom. All your bottom fish are going to like them. All your drum are going to like yeah. them. Would um, you say it's like a, a kind of like a falling leaf motion where it kind yeah. of yeah. wobbles back down to the bottom? Gotcha. And uh, if you're out there and you're looking for some of these fish, especially in the winter months, uh, as you're hitting bottom with these, uh, I generally pound bottom with them. Yeah. It's never a bad idea when that water's cold to give the biggest mistake I see sometimes. Just give a long pause. Sometimes these fish will bite it and when it's not moving. <laughs> yeah, they'll just come pick it up off the bottom. <laughs> they just won't bite it. They'll bite it when it's not moving. Especially um, uh, the scup family, which is the white bone porgies. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the amount of times I've caught those white bones and my jig wasn't even moving. Yeah. It was on there. I lift the rod because I paused and scratched my face. For so how long is a pause? Like how long will you let it sit on the bottom? So, you know, as you're... That's a whole good question. Let's go through how you like to work these. Like, so if somebody takes it out there... Um, just a metal jig. You don't have to get super in detail, but just a general process of how you work a metal jig in the winter. I'd say for your trouts, mm -hmm. I like to work it a little more aggressively. Okay. With the metals. Yeah. Plastic's kind of different. You know, I do that more subtle stuff. Yeah. I find that the trout's like uh, a more broad sweep, a drop with slack, and you'll feel that signature trout. Just tick, yeah. the tick. If you're fishing in an area where you might be catching those porgies that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. the grunts, if you're a little earlier in the season, as you hit that bottom, don't do anything for three, two, three seconds. Yeah. And you won't feel a bite. You'll lift it. The fish will be on there. Yeah. That's usually how I would describe how that goes down for the most part. Um, for your drum... Earlier in the season, if the water was warmer, I'd go quicker, like I would say with the trout. How high sleep. are you lifting it off the bottom, typically? I mean, I'm on a kayak. I'm sitting down. Like, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I got a, an arm. Spin. You're not jig, reel, jig, reel, jig. You're, you're just kind of hopping it and just keeping it deep. I mean, you could talk about that more in the time of year where there's Atlantic Bonito and Spanish Mackerel that yeah. are going to be in the water column that you can mix this strategy up quite a bit Yeah. Um, and really get a different feel for it. Since we're talking about winter, yeah, a lot of my fishing is probably going to happen from, let's say, this is the ocean floor, mm -hmm. and I'd say maybe like five feet up. Gotcha. That's kind of what I would say. Gotcha. It's really your your zone of, you know, you could take a couple cranks, and it never hurts to reintroduce something in the water column, so it, it might get a reaction out of a fish that wasn't interested in the first go. Yeah. That's something that happens a lot in freshwater, too, yeah. for sure. Bring it up and let it fall back down yeah. in there. Um, but yeah, th there are so many different varieties. I would just say... As a good good thing to do, pick up if you if you don't know what metal lures, pick up a bunch of different lures, three quarter ounces to an ounce and a half, a uh, couple of different shapes. I don't I always gravitate towards silvers and glows and silvers and glows mixed together. Yeah, <laughs> those are great colors to me. I've had the most luck. 
you know, the, the plain chartreuse jigs, for me, not as good. I haven't just had that kind of luck, but any kinds of silvers, etc. Um, I Another reason I like the old school crippled herring is uh, a lot of the newer jigs are paint, um, I don't know if it's like a foil or a wrap. These are indestructible. Yeah, the, the color is going to stay there. Yeah, the iron clam we used to call them when we used to codfish. And that's the, the iron clam just it stays the same. It's yeah. tried and true. Uh, the last style we could talk about too that works great in freshwater and also works very well in um, another you know cold weather. Uh, I only start busting these out when the water is below 55. Can be used inshore. Um, a lot of my biggest largemouth bass were, have been caught on these. These are called blade baits. Uh, truly a reactionary lure. Work great on uh, the trout species. Uh, they work great on largemouth bass, uh, striped bass, white perch, all those fish. These are designed in such a way that as you lift them, they have a vibration. Mm-hmm. And this vibration, um, I would say, just agitates fish. Yeah. It's kind of a violent vibration. It's a very violent. Yeah. And these are another one that can be fished very... These would probably be the only ones I would fish very slowly for trap. All the other ones, I think I want to keep a constant motion. If, uh, if I was targeting gray trap or mm-hmm. speckled trap, especially if you have a an area where you know there's speckled trap that are holed up in inshore, that are holed up in 10 to 15 feet throughout the winter, let's say about 15 feet, right? Yeah. If you know you got a, a couple areas that trout live there and they're not feeding much, um, cranking a couple of these one-eighths, one-eighth ounce, yeah. maybe up to a quarter ounce, um, either fishing them straight up and down vertically or casting and scoping them back uh, normally, long pauses in between each of these hops. Um, you know, maybe if you're sophisticated enough in how you're retrieving them, sometimes avoiding contact with the bottom, just trying to keep it a, a foot or two off the bottom, uh, pure reaction strike. They don't, I, I think, out of aggression, an invasive, something invasive in their yeah. habitat. And they hate these things. Yeah. And a lot of fish, largemouth bass hate these things. And, you know, but they don't seem to work well in the warmer months. Yeah. Every time I've tried, except for Spanish mackerel and bluefish, but yeah, that yeah, might be more, anything. That they're... might be more coincidental in my yeah. experience with that. But after 60, they work, but it seems like I only catch large, big largemouth bass on these in the winter. I've only catched. I've only caught giant lake trout on these in the winter. Yeah. In the in the colder reservoirs. I've only seemed to catch striped bass on these in colder months and when they're wintering over somewhere. Yeah. In uh my previous estuary experiences. So the last uh Are there some company I guess we'll That's we a can, Sabeel, yeah. We're gonna do quite a few links There's of some so of these lures that, that Elias likes to fish. They'll be linked in the description on YouTube as well as on the podcast. So if y'all do, if you're interested in them, you can click through those links and purchase them. I mean, the crocodiles, I mean, if you, we could talk about this. Yeah. We'll talk about stripers in a few. These yeah. are kind of a great striper one. Okay. Uh, for the other stuff, I haven't had as great luck with the crocodile. These are more, um, they have a very slow sink rate when they're, you drop them straight down versus the other, you know, flat, flat metals. These are designed more, they can be fished vertically for okay. sure, but uh, they swim. Just like a redfish, uh, the, yeah, yeah. the gold spoons. These are like the original one, uh-huh. I guess you can call it. Uh, but they make a lot of heavier ones too. Um, that to me is more of a casting lure, and I'd right, say it specializes right. in striper more than anything, and salmon stuff like that for mm-hmm. sure. 
Um, in terms of plastics, uh, you can, you know, your gulps are good and your, your, your Z-Mans, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I do like fishing smaller stuff in the winter. So if you've got a specific jig head, you like to fish on a four inch Z-Man, that's about an ounce. You know, that's probably a keeper if you can find them. They're kind of tough. I do make my own very small profiles. Um, I think it's hard to, hard to beat what you create for the, the wintertime stuff here. Yeah. I call these the Mackinac Shads. Designed these for lake trout originally, which are primarily fish that are 70 feet down and sometimes get keyed in on really small profiles too. But uh, they weigh an ounce. Uh, great for the gray trout. Mm -hmm. That's what I call it, that big gray trout on here. Um, and uh, great for red drum as well and flounder, etc. So th this combination would be my probably my artificial. Yeah. That's what I'm bringing out with me. Not too much. It doesn't else. take much. Not very expensive. You it doesn't can go take there, much. No. Unless you hang it in the in, in some structure yeah, multiple times. It's, it's, <laughs> the only thing that you know that time of year is Zane mentioned. Your better sheephead fishing can happen on the ocean in the winter months. Yeah. Uh, totog, totog really don't eat artificials very often. That once in a blue moon kind of thing, and black drum very unreliably will eat them. But you'll catch your trout's and your red very drum. Very unreliably. <laughs> yeah, but it can happen. Um, yeah. So. Uh, that kind of covers, I'd say, at least the, the, what's, what I like to do near shore. Um, and uh, I guess the, the temperature, my magic temperature gauge for it, I discussed a little bit. Yeah. Anything else you can think of? Trying to think as far as near shore goes, um, how to, how quickly will you work through a piece of structure out there? I mean, will you? I guess being on a kayak, it, it does push you to, to fish it a little bit longer than maybe someone on a boat would. Right. My limited but that range, could be a good thing. That could be, yeah. My limited range forces me to one area, right? Yeah. So whether it be an artificial reef, one 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 uh, wreck way out there that I decided to fish. Sometimes I'm, you know, taking my kayak to this is it. This is one. I'm investing my day into this one 90 foot wreck, and that's all I can fish. Realistically, <laughs> that's it. And um, it's literally covering every single part of that structure. I generally try to cover every corner of it. I think we discussed before how I set up my fish finder is that I have the entire perimeter of the wreck on my mark, yeah, on my GPS, so I know every little part of it, uh, and then, so I can fish it. And it's just a process of elimination, I guess. Start the artificials, uh, metals, um, plastics. If I'm not getting anything good there. We're encouraging. Then it's switching to bait. Going back and forth, and believe it or not, covering a small wreck with that full approach can, can take, take up can take up to an hour, yeah. two hours even. Yeah, you know. And then if you're catching fish, it's great. You're in yeah, the zone, definitely. And you know, I have a couple favorites that I always seem to do better on. Or if, you know, usually I won't even go if there's a boat on a spot there. I usually don't even go near it because I want to so meticulously go through the whole thing, and I just play this weird psychological game that the boat was on the spot <laughs> right right <laughs> but um for the most part uh, i just definitely want to make sure i comb through everything and sometimes you're on these bigger uh areas where there's just a lot of structure i think for the most part over the these last three years i've narrowed down where i kind of want to put the most effort at least into and then you know i could prove myself wrong every now and then but yeah and it's also sometimes i i feel like there's only so much life a structure might hold in the winter. You might have a couple of good fish on each of these structures. You know, uh, sometimes I overstay my welcome, I feel like, because mm -hmm. I, I came out the gates, you know, caught a bunch of really good quality winter fish on one spot, 
and I just sit there and sit there and sit there. They were here. This was the spot that I caught them at. I can't leave fish to find fish right, in right. winter. But sometimes, you know, that, that overstaying your welcome can be... Uh, can hurt. Yeah, it, it definitely happens sometimes because um, you're pounding the, an area that you've caught your drum. Let's say that I caught a drum. I caught a, you know, a couple of nice trout on it and I caught, you know, a couple of panfish. Yeah. And I'm still working it, working it for 30 minutes, you know, hitting everything. Well, I might have not hit all the things that were in my range yeah. that particular day and that I sh- should have maybe taken advantage of. One more quick little thing about the, the near shore. Is there anything specific, and if not, no worries, that might be worth sharing about how you like to use your electronics? Uh, you did mention marking the perimeter of the whole structure that you want yeah. to fish, but is there anything else that really is kind of game-changing for you that, that would be helpful for others? Um... You should mark some fish. Certain species of fish should show up on yeah. your electronics. Um, the trouts always do. Okay. Especially if they're over the sand, like I mentioned. They they will show up as, you know, it depends on your unit, but for me, they show up as a fish, yeah. a, a certain yeah. type of line. I can pinpoint a gray trout on my, my electronics very easily. It's one of the ones that I'm pretty comfortable doing. Speckled trout come up the exact same way when they're over 10 feet of water. Yeah. I find speckled trout to be just as easily... Uh, identifiable um sheep said sometimes we'll identify and your drums will definitely uh drums can be trickier to read because they could look like concrete bottom <laughs> sometimes uh dense. so yeah very dense so certain fish you can definitely pick up um but over certain structures where there's such biodiversity of little guys big guys it can get overwhelming to really start putting too much time into what you're seeing um, it could probably do more psychological damage than, than good than refining your fishing. Yeah. That would be my final. Do you see the schools a lot of times this time of year too? Like will you see the schools of trout? Pinfish. Pinfish, yeah. <laughs> Those uh, massive clouds. Um, yes, you can. You'll definitely yeah. start. Especially if you're oh – man, a lot of times the way it goes down is you start jigging over an area and you pulled into it, you don't see anything. But as you're drifting off of it and you're jigging – you'll see the fish start to show up out of nowhere under yeah. your, under your, under my kayak. Yeah. So I might have not seen it initially, but as I'm working through it. You start to see where they're sitting. And it's it's also that I'm working with the lure. And it, I, mean, I might have not gotten a strike immediately, but then it's like, as soon as out of nowhere, I started seeing fish, then I got a strike. So yeah. maybe these fish are laying low, not active, out of my, my fish finder's range, range of vision. And then they come up and boom. It's like, oh, I'm marking them. Oh, and then I got a hit. Right, right. So that kind of, that, that does happen. That would be another thing. All right, let's intro. Yeah, let's do it. How long was that? An hour? We're, we're at 34 minutes, so we're, we're, we're good. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Um, that's very brief, yeah. And then we're going to talk about bait, but that's a, we could skip over bait. Yeah, we'll first. skip over bait. I like the artificial one for, for today. Um, but yeah, let's talk about inshore fishing. Let's talk about what, what you target, how you target it. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, we'll go through that. Um. I don't. I haven't started trout fishing this year and last year until mid mid December. It seemed like I didn't make a whole. Maybe maybe one trout trip in November. Um, the reason is um, I'm on a kayak, so I have limited range, and I can only cover so much stuff. And I find that, uh, especially with speckled trout, to be tough. Yeah. Uh, especially if I want to you know try to find some bigger fish. Um, now that the water's colder. Try to go out. <laughs> if I'm going to trout fish, it's going to be the bad days. Yeah. Um, the days that are really just... Like today. 
So they Probably would have been today. I, well, yesterday, yesterday was not pretty at all yeah. either. Yesterday was a twenty knot northeast all day, but with big tides. Uh, I just try to gamble on days that I at least, even if the fishing shouldn't be textbook prime, at least I know I can go through the areas that are most likely hit hardest by public. Mm-hmm. And that at least I could say with confidence, I did covered everything I possibly could have right, within right. my, my skill set range, within my platform. Um, and so I end up doing the speckled trout stuff on the probably the nastiest days that yeah. are um, generally big fish are caught. But I'm going through the areas that are probably a little bit more pressured uh, for the most part. Um, I love the shrimp as well. I'm a big. Let's fish. save. I'm going to say this real quick. Let's save this bait. Mm-hmm. This bait to mm-hmm. talk about on the little Patreon recording. Okay. If that's cool with you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fall out of your chair. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of the shrimp. You've talked about the DLAs a hundred times. Um, <laughs> they're great too. Yeah. I agree. Um, I also re-rig them on jig heads. Yeah. Um, I've caught my biggest trout so far on that with with that method this spring. Uh, a quarter ounce, uh, three eighths ounce jig head. With the pencil weight, I call it pencil weight. Yeah. Uh, the pencil mm-hmm. weight that's in there. The butt weight. The, the butt weight <laughs> in like 11 feet of water. Yeah. Um, I also like these a lot. These are made by Savage Gear, especially in the winter as the trout have transitioned out of uh, higher current areas and into lower current areas. I really like their sink rate up to about five feet of water. Okay. For some reason, I even though trout go into some you know deeper areas sometimes in the in the winter, I still think a lot of them do stick around in shallow water because a lot of our environments just don't have that right. that ecosystem. If they all went to those deep spots, then it'd be a lot. There, of fish there'd be a lot of fish in those deep spots. Right. So I think there's a lot of fish up shallow still yeah. too. Um, I think the sink rate on these is really awesome uh, with the the belly hook. Uh, low current, no junk fish around. These are made of thermal plastics, TPE, another TPE shrimp, like the Voodoo shrimps yeah. too. Um, Very durable. Awesome for redfish. They are one of my favorite winter lures for okay. sure. Um, how do I fish them? Uh, as a cast in scenario, low current in a creek or something like that. Kind of like a mirror lure. Yeah. I would say I fish them almost identical to a mirror lure. Um, Long pause, hit on the drop as, as you would expect. Yeah. Uh, maybe a double pop to, to have them crawl through. Uh, when they hit the water too, there's that, they, they hit the water so beautifully like a like a small bait fish popping. Yeah. So Especially that, that savage one. That yeah. savage one lands really nicely. It, it's, it's exactly like what you hear when a shrimp hits the water. Yeah. They cast like garbage. That's the one problem <laughs> I would say that they do have. They there's get, not very many good casting shrimp out there. No, they're not. Um, but I would say those are... Excellent winter trout lures. If I had to say what my confidence speckled trout lure for inshore would be, it would probably be those savage shrimps. I do like these voodoo shrimps a lot. These are a little bit better in current. Mm-hmm. I would say these do a better job in current. For some reason, I seem to catch more trout out of current if I had to use both of them with the, with the savage. With the savage, okay. Yeah. You think that's does that one sink a little bit better? You can hold it and it, it let does it down sink a little better. I find that sometimes when I'm jerking it, or uh, <laughs> I find sometimes, sometimes when I'm working it, uh, it doesn't come at me straight. Yeah. It kind of turns. 
Yes, in the current. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. This one, if there's, uh, if I'm working it in an area of no current, it always seems to hold the right position. It's like that that belly weight, or not belly weight, but the 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 worm hook with the weight on the on the bottom yeah. of it keeps it like a keel almost. It never seems to turn. Yeah. Never seems to give me any. Uh, any that fish is a lot better in current though. Yeah, definitely. at the same time. Definitely. Um, I just find that the consistency of how I'm retrieving this. And I use the four-inch ones and the five-inch ones. Yeah. I'm, I think if you're still in that 60-degree water temperature, I don't have a problem with these fish eating this stuff. Uh, I'm hitting the mic. Oh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I find the four inches and the five inches. I like that. The, they have the funny pink, the glow, and the natural brown seem to yeah. be. And the redfish love them. They're red drum oh, going yeah. crazy over those things. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, if you're finding fish in areas of a little bit of depth, I'd say an eighth ounce blade bait. These things cut through current like like butter. You don't need. You, Have you, you fished those in heavy current? Yeah, they cut really? right through it. They shoot through it. They're just thin metal. Yeah, um, they'll shoot through like a just like a lead sinker. Wow. So they just shoot right through that current, and you know, very slow retrieves. You can fish this like a plastic. You cast it out. I wouldn't fish in structure. Yeah, oysters. But if you you have fish that are kind of hold up over sand and docks and stuff like that, you can just yo-yo this. Um, they'll so hit it on the drop. I haven't even thought about fishing it, like casting it like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then um, yeah, and then you just reel up the slack just yeah. like that. Just hop it and, and slack very it. slow. Uh, I haven't used these yet. I've caught a sheep's head on these this this year. These are like hybrids. <laughs> that looks like, like a great sheep's head bait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rapala makes these. They're called the Rapala V blade. I think the profile is just still a little too big for winter trout. Yeah. If, especially if they're not feeding. I think that that tiny little blade bait just gets, you know, caught. It's just an easy meal. Caught thirty-five inch stripers on these little things, yeah. and it's just. I'm guessing it makes you're no sense. upgrading the hooks. Yes, for speckled trout, they won't uh, make a difference. I find the biggest thing when it comes to these shrimps, these blade baits, uh, your leader. Yeah. And we were talking about this earlier. I use this stuff. Um, it's a steelhead leader. I started using six pound. <laughs> I used to use eight, I used 10. It, just think about the environment. If it's an area that you're going to encounter a lot of oysters, yeah, I wouldn't use it. But if you're not really encountering oysters and it's cold, trout really don't fight a whole lot in the colder water when yeah. it's when we're hitting right about now. You just uh, got to be careful on that hook set when you fish six pounds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a big thing. And uh, I don't really, you know, swing for the fences with the trout anyway. Uh, the drum will, if you're fishing in a diverse area with drum and trout over the winter, yeah, I wouldn't use six. But uh, you'll get a ton of more bites when you're fishing these, like, these little silly tiny profiles like the blade baits, etc., mm. and uh, yeah, they work great with that stuff. And uh, that kind of like yeah, those hit the the spot. I mean, we can talk about the paddle tails and the Z-mans, but that's just my different approach. Yeah, no, I like. I don't even think we need to because I I think that's just giving somebody or people something else to think about. Yeah, and everybody knows throw a paddle tail or you know yeah. listens to this often hears me talk about the dang doa shrimp too much but those are two things i like a lot and they cover two different environments that one, yeah one oh the, you want to talk about this oh yeah i just started fishing I, this is a ned rig yeah it's on my to-do list <laughs> for the for uh, another shrimp profile that um should work really well uh but i think this kind of covers a, a paddle tail these are a little yeah. bit different that um i don't see a whole lot of guys fishing the savage shrimps here 
Uh, I really like them, and the, the blade base is definitely, if I'm going to try to cover a water that's eight feet more deeper uh, for specs. And like I said, they, they cut, it casts so well and cut through current and depth. That's what's awesome really about those little blade. eighth ounce, uh, even an eighth ounce blade bait. I could fish in 15 feet of water without an issue. Yeah. Because it just, it's not like, it has no resistance from the plastic it's shooting through that water. And um, it's pure reaction strike. Yeah. So. That's sweet. I think that, yeah, I think that's a good, good place to end it as far as the podcast goes. I mean, it's a striper. Well, we could talk about striper, yeah. Have to bring some striper. Yeah, let's talk about striper stuff, actually. Yeah, yeah, and that was my last, uh, my last winter uh, target. So, and reds, yeah, reds and specs. I kind of make them into combo trip. Sometimes I'll just go for one specialty. Uh, Striper, um, I fish for striper my own way. It might be the wrong way, but I fish for it my way. (laughs) Well, you come from a a great (laughs) striper background, so I I think people do have a lot to learn from you. I mean, I've had, I have some experience doing the shallow stuff. Um, uh, I really focus on striper at night, shallow during the day. I can't get it out of my head. It's an electronics based fishery during yeah. the day. And maybe that first hour of daylight, I'll throw the top waters and fish the creek mouths and stuff yeah. like that. But as soon as that an hour goes in, I can't, that's it. My life has been electronics for stripers at night. I won't even need a fish finder. It's a yeah. totally different game. Yeah. Um, here even in Wilmington as well i find that i yeah it's weird um i've always asked around i'm not sure if since we talked wilmington i always wanted to know what is the natural what is the dissolved oxygen i asked the weirdest questions i wonder how much dissolved oxygen is throughout that river channel yeah (laughs) because that'll determine where i'm probably gonna fish yeah uh in depth this time of year now can you see that on your on your sounder sometimes? Like, uh, a, like a. Sometimes you'll see a random line, and I won't know what that is, and it has to do with weird days like that. I would say, if if there is proper dissolved oxygen throughout uh, our area where we mm-hmm. live, and you know the other rivers systems here, I would say this time of year the majority of your striped bass should be in fifteen to twenty five feet of water. I'd say the majority. Yeah. Um, here I've marked them plenty and fished them 10 to 15 feet down. Uh, if you're talking shallow, we could talk a little bit about shallow. You have your, I'd say stripers, as everyone says, uh, prime feeding 40 to 60 degrees. I mean, they, they'll feed through a whole lot of water temperatures. Um, I always found that early in the morning, aggressive up shallow creeks. This is uh, This was the lure. That I used forever. Um, these are called Daiwa makes these. Okay. It's a, called SP Minnow, Salt Pro Minnow. Great striper search bait. Casts as a weight transfer system. This is probably the longest casting diving plug out there. Dives really? about three feet down. This thing will, yeah, this, this, this is, the, this what will What rod do you usually end up fishing that on? I, feel, I fish medium it on a medium cast. heavy. Medium heavy. Yeah, medium heavy rod. Uh, something rated up to an ounce. I think these weigh about seven eighths of an ounce. But this is the, the longest casting yeah. um, uh, diving plug. I think it dives to like three or four feet. Are you slow rolling that or are you kind of I'm whacking it? And burning running? it. Burning it, really. Burning it pretty quick, yeah. Uh, not Albi speed, but I'm I'm not going trout speed. Yeah. I'm going yeah. pretty quick with these. Excellent search bait. If you're fishing along grass, pilings where stripers might be up shallow early in the morning where these fish are on aggressive still. They haven't kind of moved off into deeper water and kind of gotten lazy for the day. 
uh, one of my favorites to search for fish yeah. with, uh, especially on quick retrieves. It casts a lot further than a, a soft plastic will, equivalent of a, of a metal lure. Mm-hmm. Top order, if you want the best cheap top order, caught fish here with these. Cotton yeah. Cordell, $4, maybe not 4 anymore, probably $7 plug now. Used to be 4 Used to be 4 <laughs> Cold pencil poppers, work these extremely aggressively, probably my favorite. Striper bait. Uh, throwaway, as in an inexpensive one, I lose it to a tree, we're piling. Right, right. Uh, but also I've caught absolutely giant fish with these. Uh, pencil popper. I think they're seven inches each, weigh an ounce. They cast extremely well, work well in rough water as well. Obviously, you can use your smaller top orders that you use for red and speckled trout as well. But if you want to cover more water a little more aggressively and effectively, these things are awesome for striped bass. Please. Um, Tell me this. Do you feel like striper, big striper, are going to eat big profiles more so? Or, or, or can it, you kind of catch them across the board on whatever size? You just need to be where they are. I would say, I wish I brought, I had them in the car. Um, small stripers and big stripers will absolutely destroy big profiles. <laughs> gotcha. Little ones and big ones will destroy. Um, I, I mean, I was catching 19 inch fish on this yeah. the other day. Um, and half the times if I get that little tap, I was like, well, I missed the short strike from the little guy. Yeah. Um, so I'm not worried about. Striper is probably the, the, the one fish that I'm least concerned about if I'm yeah. fishing too big of a profile, even throughout the winter. I mean, unless the water gets that cold, which it doesn't here, mm-hmm. that would be the only way I'd say, okay, we should fish smaller stuff. I'd say uh, minimum striper size, I'd sort of throw is five and a half, five six. Um, so what I'm usually fishing is that five inch diesel minnow, no, yeah, which it works it. well. But it is small. I mean, you're going to catch, I'll catch eight inch striper on it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about missing twenty-two to twenty-five inch fish on six to seven inch lures. No yeah. way. That yeah. would not be something I would worry about. Usually, when a striper eats a soft plastic or any bait, it's but especially a soft plastic, it's just what. And I'm saying that because a soft plastic, they can fold it up and get it back there. Yeah, it is in the back of their throat. Absolutely. Um, you know, the hard bait sometimes you're cooking more towards the front of the mouth just because the ricochet factor of of them eating it, but. Um, I fish a lot of those like storm swim baits and stuff, bigger ones too. Yeah. And that will be way back in their mouth. Absolutely. I mean, I used to fish the um, the 10 inch hoagies, tarpon yeah. lure and cobia lure. I mean, routinely catch 22 inch fish on those. Really? Yeah, routinely. That's crazy. Um, a lot of times I like to search for stripers on ledges, uh, dock pilings, etc. cetera. Uh, I would say. 10 to 20 feet is a comfortable range for most river systems I've fished. I'd say if it's a well-oxygenated river, I'd say down to 60. Yeah. It's as deep as I've caught them throughout the winter. That was in the Hudson River. Um, some trenches and some river systems go down to about 100 feet. Some real big... Um, oh, some big ones down there. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them... Um, Not enough oxygen. A lot of them don't hold oxygen that well. Uh the other thing is a lot of them are uh, the current's too strong. Yeah. That's it. And a lot of river systems. Cape Fear River is definitely one of those systems that I'd say you're up there on the current level for sure. Uh, I mean, stripers are the easiest fish to see on electronics. Probably of every fish we've talked about yeah. today. Um, you do not need a fancy fish finder to find stripers. Um, 
they do like to feed on current, if on some sort of current, if they're suspended or down deep or off of a ledge or some sort of structure. Mm-hmm. I find if I, my drift is dropping below a half knot, it's casting and working banks and stuff like that. I find the sweet spot on the kayak to vertically jig stripe bass, it's about a knot. Okay. I would say that would be my sweet spot. Um, there's two ways to, to jig stripers. I like the an aggressive yo-yoing yeah. with plastics, etc. If they're, um, you know, a lot of times when you're fishing structure for stripers, they're not um, likely to rise and chase. Maybe one fish out of this pod will, but then they start acting like speckled trap. That's their strike zone. When they're up on the flats and the creek mouths chasing bait, sure, they'll, they'll chase. And that's why I was saying this is the search bait. You're looking yeah, for a fish yeah. that's, he doesn't have a home, yeah, right? right? He's right. just cruising around, feeding, picking stuff off grass. Uh, you'll get him at the creek mouths. If you're, you're fishing a tight ledge or a tight piling where you caught one on the retrieve, but you see on your screen there's still a ton of fish down there. Um, that's really the vertical jigging game is put this in front of their face uh, vertically. Yeah. Hopping it. I, stripers are very, you know, that, that, those subtle twitches. No, that's a red drum thing. Stripers reactionary strike for the most part. Always hit on the drop. And the thump is, yeah, it's really... It's like a trout on steroids. Yeah, it's a significant (laughs) thump. And the other thing is, if you're... The other way that sometimes works really well if you're fishing for these fish in current, uh, just like on speckle tracks, at deeper, 15, 10, 15, 20 feet, 30 feet even. We we do this, we used to do this method is, let's say I was jigging them and, you know, current's moseying me along, I'm out of these fish. And especially if they are extra finicky, Casting into that where those fish were, and then you know, trying to estimate your depth that you're right. getting down to, and then sweeping it. Um, that's when a lot of times the stripers just don't want to come up and hit on a on a straight retrieve. Gotcha. A lot of times they 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 do exhibit that behavior very frequently that they just don't want to chase and follow stuff. Yeah. And that's oh, primarily when they're on structure or a sandbar too. You know, I still haven't seen a flat spike here. Maybe I'm not fishing. The right time of year to see stripers gather up in like a 10 foot flat or a five foot flat and work over baits and you can cast and do all that stuff a lot of the times whenever i'm striper fishing here it's structure based yeah and then ledges were piling stuff like mm-hmm. that it seems like those motions seem to work the deepest stripers i've caught here in this river system have been 25 feet 25 feet okay. i have not caught them over 25 feet yet 20 Qual- feet. were they quali- more quality fish sitting on a little deeper mixture of both seems like the biggest ones i've caught have been 10 to 15 feet down gotcha 10 to 15 feet down you talk to most people that catch striper here regularly and they that's where they're going to tell you to catch them is 10 to 15 feet down you'll catch some good ones on the banks but but typically you're catching schoolies you're getting bites because like you said they're aggressive fish sitting there wanting to feed but if you know where to be mm-hmm. and how to thoroughly pick through an area in the right depth that's when you're going to catch your bigger fish yeah 10 to 15 feet seems to be the um you know things other things to look for uh white perch if you find white perch schooled up in the northeast cape fear river you'll probably find some stripers nearby they, yeah. they, they they like to hang out with them easy meal to pick off on them too especially if they're you know decent sized striper um i don't see i haven't seen enough pogies uh in the right environment that i should say that you know there should be stripers right here on the right. edge of them um but white perch is definitely one that 
an easy giveaway to yeah. that white percher around. You're going to probably find striped bass. Too. Definitely. Um, I don't see the, the main mistake I've been doing here is when I'm combing through my electronics, um, I spend too much time looking at gar. Yeah. And I know it's gar, but I'm like, <laughs> maybe a striper somewhere here. Is, is there a this, giveaway to, that tells you it's gar? Yeah. Gar look very different on electronics okay. than striper. Uh, stripers are usually, you know, most units should tell you that that's not striper. Uh, but, uh, sometimes I think since gar can be kind of in an environment that I think striper should be somewhere nearby, I might spend a little bit too much time working through, you know, gar and there might be on a ledge, but I never catch it. Sometimes I just don't catch the striper near the gar, even though there are in, in, in an environment that I'd say, oh, okay, I should see a striper or two somewhere here. Are you still using, are you using side scan majority of the time for your striper fishing or down scan as well? I use down scan and side scan. Um, when are you, you going to one of the new live feeds since you've got the trolling motor? No, I don't have that yet. No, no I'm not that fancy. But side scan is a lot more useful if you're in like five feet of water. Yeah. You'll, you'll pick up the stripers in the river system here uh, in five feet of water or so. Um, I'd say in 10 to 15 feet. You, it's so easy to find those stripers with yeah. with uh, electronics. They're very they give themselves away very easily yeah. for the most part. Um, but yeah, it, would, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, gotcha, cool. Um, well, yeah, that I think that's. And the iron clam works great. I was going to say the iron clam also is excellent stripe bass lure if you don't want to just jig with the um, the plastics. Uh, a lot of the striper uh, winter striper river stuff. Any river system, it's all snaggy. Every yeah. river I've fished is snaggy um, for stripers. Um, it's okay to fish off the bottom. You yeah. don't have to be con- if you're jigging and yo-yoing. Uh, coming in contact with the bottom is not important with striped yeah. bass a lot of time. Uh, so get yeah. it down there, crank it up. So Take that one it. crank up off the bottom, and you're good. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. They'll, they'll, they'll you're still in their range. Yeah. yeah. Well, sweet. Well. Um, I think that'll wrap it up as far as I mean, that, that's a really good broad view and some great opportunities here in the winter. Um, and you guys, again, go check out Elias's channel. Like if you want to see all this in action, that's what he's doing it's on like, a daily basis. Yeah. So, uh, especially if you want to see the wintertime stuff in action, start watching right now. And that's Elias V fishing. Again, I'll link that in the description on here. Um, and, and we will link all the, the baits or the, the majority of these baits, like the bigger baits that we've talked about. Um, you can purchase them online through those links on the podcast as well as the YouTube channel. But I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, for the Patreon listeners, we're going to talk about these two baits. Uh, the reason I grabbed these two is because I've heard Elias um, talk about you know how effective they have been for him. And I've seen it in, in some of his videos. Um, but they're just very different baits than you you find most people fishing for trout with and so we're gonna um, go into that and talk about that in patreon if you want to check that out slide on over and check out our patreon account but uh thank you so much for listening to this podcast Thanks, yeah and and we'll see uh we'll see you soon we'll bring elias on again soon and we'll uh we'll talk to you later Bye.